Georgia Simmons, founder of Greedy Vegan, and welcome back to another very exciting episode of Catch Ups in My Kitchen. This week, I am privileged to be joined by James Collier, co founder of Huel, the world's first number one complete food source. With Huel creating a revolutionary product where in a single drink you can obtain all 26 minerals and vitamins, and it's nutritionally complete. I was so excited to talk to the formulator of the product himself. James and I discuss whether there is a one-size-fits-all model when it comes to food. We talk about ingredients and consuming ingredients we may not know the definition of. We discuss the topic of processed foods and what that even means, especially in the world of plant-based. And lastly, we touch on the vast topic of sustainability, which he all does a lot for. This is an extremely fascinating conversation and it's fair to say we are talking to one of the best in the nutritional field. James Collier has been a nutritionist for 30 years with a speciality in enteral tube feeding. So those who had tubes going into their stomach, James would ensure they had the correct nutrients that they needed. Then he went into the muscle and bodybuilding industry where he started a forum called Muscle Talk. Then in 2014, he got emailed by Julian Hearn, co-founder of Huel, where he then got commissioned to formulate the Huel product. I'm very, very excited to be sat with James Collier today to talk about Huel, but more importantly, about nutrition, sustainability and processed foods. So James, firstly, I'd like to say thank you so much for coming on. It really is a privilege to have you here today. So thanks so much. Thanks for inviting me. So to start with, I always like to start with a bit of an elevator pitch, just so you can introduce yourself because I won't do it justice. Okay, so my name's James Collier. I'm co-founder of Yule and a registered nutritionist. Now, um, a lot of people have heard of Yule, but a lot of people haven't. So Yule, we make nutritionally complete food. What do we mean by that? So our products have all the nutrients you need for not only for life, but for optimal health and performance. And that's how we started seven years ago, with a, a powder, a powdered product, which is the regular Huel in the white pouches. But since then, we've got numerous other products. We've got the RTD, the registered drink, that's available in a lot of supermarkets and general stores across the UK, and expanding into other countries like Sainsbury's or Waitrose or Tesco's and Holland and Barrett's and some service stations, etc. Um, we've also got different types of Huel powder. We've got our black edition, which is the black pouch, as it sounds which has got a different macro ratio. So maybe I'll come back to that in a moment mm-hmm. to explain what I mean. Yeah. Um, and we've got a, a complete protein product as well, which is predominantly protein, but it's got all the vitamins and minerals. And as well as that, we've got a hot and savory product, which is a grain or pasta-based product with all the nutrients you need that you, rather than just mixing in a shake, you add hot water and stir and leave, you leave for five minutes and then consume, or, or you can microwave it as well. Uh, and as well as that, we've got a, two different types of, of fuel bars. Amazing. I mean, we're going to go into all the information and the detail on that a bit more later, but it's just, yeah, the nutritional side of things, I think, is super interesting, but yeah. we'll touch on that in a minute. Yeah. A tradition on the podcast is we have some quick fire questions just okay. to kind of talk about all things food. So we'll go for those first. Sure. Sweet or savory? Both. A mixture. So like popcorn, would it be like a sweet and salty popcorn? Yeah, probably do, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really not fussy with food. Juicy burger or overloaded salad? 
probably the salad side, but it depends yeah. what the salad is because I don't like all salad stuff. Crisps or popcorn? Oh, crisps. Cook in or eat out? I'm a wife's a good cook, so cooking in, but I like eating out as well. Yeah. Ice cream or sorbet? Neither. I'll get brain freeze bad, right? <laughs> Wife says it's because they eat it too quickly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Favourite delivery? I don't have delivery where I live. Favourite takeaway? Um, Favourite takeaway? Probably Indian mm. cuisine. Yeah, that's a good one. So I'd like to kind of start at the beginning. So kind of when you met Julian, how that happened and then how you came together to create your okay so I rewind a bit first and say my background yeah. more. I didn't touch on that sort of at the beginning so I've been studying nutrition for well, 30 years all told um, well that's when I started studying it then I worked in as a clinical dietitian in the National Health Service for seven years where I covered a range of disciplines um, people with different medical problems so we did, did outpatient clinics where people help people lose weight food intolerances healthy eating, low cholesterol, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but predominantly in patients, where sometimes they'd be critically ill, maybe they'd had some jaw surgery or been kicked in the face by a horse or something and needed help, or they were um, older people who were appetite was going, people with cancer. But my speci- speciality became um, enteral tube feeding, so that people got the nasogastric tube or the peg tubes, mm-hmm. which it tubes into their, their stomach, and making sure they have the right sort of formulas. Um, and I did that for several years. So it could be stroke people as well. So while I was, but I, so it was a great experience. Yeah. You get a lot of um, job satisfaction, but it never was for me for day one. Not that yeah. I didn't enjoy it, but it didn't motivate me enough. And I always had this sort of inkling that at one point I'm going to be a freelance dietitian or freelance nutritionist. And I had a very good boss who let me dwindle my days down um, to sort of, you know, to two and then to four and then to two days and I was able to start setting up my, my freelance work um, and then that sort of evolved and one way it evolved was working in the bodybuilding and fitness industry so I started a bodybuilding discussion forum, forum called Muscle Talk with a, with a friend who ran the IT side and actually went quite well, went well for a few years um, uh, and I was always doing other work as well like maybe doing seminars, obviously face to face nutrition plans, online diet advice as well as um, maybe care home meal plans, anything I can get my hands on. You know, if, you, mm. if you need work, you, you take what you can get. And then we can go all the way forward now to, to 2014 when I got a, an email from this guy called Julian Hearn who had this great idea for a product. So Julian found me through, through my work that I've been doing. Um, and then he commissioned me to was come up with a product. We, um, we did a couple of, you know, I came up with a couple of sort of recipes of ingredient types. Originally, for about two minutes, we, we thought of using whey protein, and then, but at the same, because I think I gave him two different formulas, one with whey and one with the, the, the protein combinations, and, and we thought, well, why, why would we do, you know, there's a, it's a bigger market, the plant-based was, was growing, it's you know, seven or eight years ago, so it's still some time ago, and you think of how people are now adopting more plant-based diets, there's lots happened in that time, but I think we obviously did the right thing, and nutritionally, it's the right thing, which we can talk more about if you like. Um, so that's that's how it evolved, and so people, if people aren't aware, Julian Hearn is the, is the main founder of Yule. He's on lots of other podcasts and really worth worth listening to. So he's very much the entrepreneur, uh, the ideas guy, and he now um, runs all the marketing side. Amazing! And so when you were creating this product, like what was imperative for you to have in this product? So obviously, 
an incredible experience in the nutrition world, looking into lots of different types of people with different needs and different body types and different, yeah, everyone's unique, but obviously you're trying to create a product for everyone. So what was imperative to you when you were creating this product that you had to kind of have and it had to do? So everyone is unique, but we're also very similar. Look, we come from the same gene pool. I think what they call it the genetic ISO point, which is where you go back in time and that, that one person would be the ancestor of everyone alive today. I think, I, I'm not gonna get this wrong, I think it's about three and a half, four thousand years ago. That might, that could be wrong, so, you know, caveat there. But the, but the point I'm illustrating stays the same, you know. We have, our ancestors came from very different, a range of different environments and they've amalgamated into you and me today. Um, and so what we, what we eat is, is broadly the same. Now that's not to say there aren't certain genetic differences or epigenetic differences or social differences. There is very much things that we've adapted um, over the course of our lifetime. But broadly speaking, we need the same nutrition. So, so Huel is, is, has to have all essential nutrients at the levels that are required, both initially, firstly and fundamentally rather, you know, legally for the, the region in which we sell it in. We have to meet the RDA's recommended daily amounts. Um, but also, often they're wrong, not good enough. Vitamin C, for instance, I think is way too low. Um, vitamin D has now been recognised that it was, it was way too low. So we, uh, you know, from day one, we had optimal amounts of those in. Proteins, were, as some people might, might be aware, that plant proteins on their own are very rarely complete or, or don't digest so well. But you combine two of them, you've got a complete protein. That's what we did with the original formula of fuel. It's got pea protein and brown rice protein. We need carbohydrates, but just sticking maltodextrin in as the only source of carb isn't, isn't ideal. So we based um, on the original formulas based on oats. Um, we, we use tapioca in other formulas now. But And then, of course, fats. You know, fats are, I think people are now starting to recognise that fats shouldn't be, have been demonised, but they were traditionally. So we, we need to have essential fatty acids, and that's the omega-3s, which we get from oily fish, but there are plant sources as well. We use milled flaxseed. And omega, uh, sorry, that's the omega threes, and there's the omega sixes as well, which we we use from from various different uh, other sources. And as well as all that, you, we've got to have all the essential vitamins and minerals. There's twenty six stroke, stroke twenty seven. Why, why twenty? There is twenty six or twenty seven. Some people say choline isn't essential because the body can synthesise it. Choline is vitamin B four, mm-hmm. but in my opinion, um, we don't synthesise it enough, and we we should have it in our diets. Uh, and also phytonutrients, that's all the good stuff from plants, some of the antioxidants and um, constituents that do others, others, other things in the body. And we're still finding those now. And of course there's fibre. Uh, and there are different types of fibre. Your audience might well know there's an insoluble fibre which is good for the digestive system. And there's soluble fibre which has a range of other benefits. Good for your digestive system but also helping glycemic control, that's the blood sugar control, um, possibly helping control your cholesterol level as well, amongst many other things. So your products have all that. We're complete nutrition, and that's what we mean. We have to at least meet certain levels that we set, which is a high bar, um, to make sure everyone gets everything they need. Mm. I think it's really interesting because people often say you can't get all that you need on a plant-based diet, but you're completely contradicts that and shows that you definitely can you can yeah and I think we rewind 50 years ago it was probably really hard but there's so many good products not just you so many good products out these days and also 
knowledge of nutrition has increased so we can you know we can teach the combining protein was key mm. but if people you know traditionally had beans and rice well that give, makes the protein in there complete rice on its own incomplete beans on their own incomplete together complete yeah no definitely I think I have to highlight this because I was doing some research and I was on your website and I was looking at reviews because I was like let's just see kind of like what the demographic is that kind of consume fuel I found a review from a 74-year-old. Okay. And I just thought, wow, like it just shows that it really is for everyone. Because some people might mm. think, oh, but it's not really for me. But if a 74-year-old who one might think might need a slightly different diet or might not consider drinking a complete meal, but just shows that if a 74-year-old's even, he was raving about it and I, I loved it. I was like, it just shows so much evidence that it really is for everyone. It is, yeah. Um, we, uh, a lot of older people don't have happen to have fuel and maybe there's a variety of reasons for that but some do and some find it very very helpful so my dad obviously has fuel he has to um and he's, <laughs> he's in his 70s as well and, and as does his wife um and they find it useful because it's convenient right it's mm. it's your is food is in a convenient nutritious form and i want to touch on the evolution of the products okay so what was your kind of thought behind evolving into like the hot and savoury that you have and is this to kind of fit different people's needs was that kind of the original idea for it or yeah how has it evolved um people's needs but more what, what people want right uh we looked at you know and some people weren't having fuel for lunch they maybe have it for breakfast well they want a convenient lunch most people are out out and about so sure they're rushing at breakfast and some people were having fuel for lunch but sometimes people want want a break and sit sit down and have something so the heart and savoury ticks that box really and it's also something people can chew on it's more recognisable as food mm. because you know Huel is with the other products apart from the bar and hot and savoury we drink them mm. that leads me really nicely onto my next question actually because I was going to ask you about the difference between drinking versus eating Okay. because obviously when you eat the chewing it kind of helps the digestion process with the, mm. with the saliva like causing that reaction mm-hmm. Could you touch on a bit about if there is a difference between drinking versus eating from your like nutritional background? From as from uh, from a digestion perspective. Yeah, from a digestion. Yeah, okay. and also, do you think it affects satisfaction levels? It's, it's interesting. Well, uh, let me just touch the difference in the way it's digested first. So, uh, people may know that physiologically we have the digestive enzymes, and there's one called amylase, which is secreted in two parts of the body: in the saliva, salivary amylase and in the, uh, from the pancreas, um, and that's pancreatic amylase. And that, they break down starches, so there's two basic time, types of starch, amylose and amylopectin, and the amylose is the predominant one, and that's what it, it breaks down. Now, <clears throat> most people, unless you chew your food for a really long time, which a lot of carbohydrates today are already partly milled, bread, for instance, mm-hmm. or in other cereal forms, you don't, uh, um, salivary amylase doesn't actually do very much. So it's kind of inert. Okay. So food hits the stomach where the stomach enzymes do their bit and the hydrochloric acid does its bit and the different parts of the, the chambers of the stomach help, help digest the food. And then it goes on to where the pancreatic amylase really does its work and breaks down the starches. Okay. So that's the digestion bit. Now I want to just touch on your um, satiety bit. Well, have you had your products? Yes. Did I you have. feel full afterwards? Yes, I okay. did. And my theory behind it is it probably similar to chewing, it depends on how long it takes you to drink it. If you just kind of drink it really quickly, 
you might not feel satisfied straight away because maybe it's just been too quick. Whereas I actually had one yesterday and I kind of had it in my bag and I was like commuting and I kind of drank it slowly and I felt full. So I guess maybe it's a speed thing that makes you satisfied. So satiety is very complicated. There's mm-hmm. so many different things that were involved. There's your hormones, so endocrine system. You've got your, your impulses to your brain, so you've got neurotransmitters. You've got how you subjectively feel. Now that's an interpretation. Um, um, the flavour of things, that, that all affect um, your satiety. And also how you feel. Are you stressed? Are you tired? They can all affect how full you feel or how hungry you feel. So what you've said is absolutely true, and that's one thing. But some people can take their time with a meal and still want to eat more. You go out for, like, you go out for dinner, you, put, you perhaps have three courses. You've had a good starter, which under normal circumstances would be enough. Mm. Then you have a massive plate. Oh, and of course you can find room for dessert. You're out, you're out with your friends. You've taken your time. So that kind of is the flip of what you've just said. You've taken your time, but you're still hungry. You're not really hungry, but your no. brain's telling you you're hungry. That's so so true. it's very very complicated. So, so really, yeah, we can look at all the the way hormones affect your um, appetite. And there's a number of hormones, but there's in particular there's leptin, which con- and ghrelin, which control hunger and, and satiety. And then there's um, another one called PYY, which is um, how protein makes you feel full up quickly. So mm. all our products are high protein. Yeah. So this bit's quite important actually. PYY is like a short term, takes the edge off your hunger hormone. So if you think about it, in our ancestors, before there was anything called agriculture, and they were running around, and they hadn't eaten for hours, maybe even days, they'd get, they'd hunt an animal, and they could, you know, they'd, they'd eat, eat its flesh, protein. The urgency to look for food is now gone. So they don't have to expend any more energy looking for food. The bodies tell them, okay, we've got food now. We, we can chill out a bit. We've got to eat, but we can chill for a bit. So this is what, that's what PYY tells, tells our brain, okay, you know, we can chill a bit. So this is the, when you have some Huel, people will feel, you know, the edge, you'll take the edge off their hunger immediately. And then when they finish the whole meal, the Huel meal, then they'll start to feel uh, more satiated. Okay. So it's... Um, yeah, and then there's sweetness and, and savouriness. You, one of your questions, your quickfire question, is a really good one, actually. It's, uh, you know, people have different preferences, and that will affect how full up they feel. So it's very complicated. So it boils down to your subjective perception of how full or hungry you feel. Mm. Now, like I said, it depends on the circumstance. But for sure, when you're busy uh, and you want something nutritious, you're absolutely, you know, helps make you feel satiated. Yeah. No, it's so it's such an interesting one, and I'm sure you could probably tell yourself you're hungry, and probably tell yourself you're full. I think it could also work mm-hmm. both ways. You can kind of, not that you'd want to train your brain to feel full when you're not, but you could probably do that. Like train is, your brain to feel satisfied, right? It's yeah, mindfulness. Yeah, it's uh, you, you've been aware of your feelings, subjective feelings. Mm, no, so true. And I now want to touch on ingredients because okay. I feel like this is a quite an interesting interesting one when it comes to Huel. Because often I get told by nutritionists and different people that, you know, don't eat a product with more than 20 ingredients and you've got to understand every single mm. one of those ingredients. Yeah. So when I look at Huel, there are some ingredients that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So could you touch on how maybe that, that kind of theory of you've got to understand every ingredient thing, can you touch on whether that's true or whether that's a bit of a myth? So there's no doubt about it, some of the words on ingredient lists can be baffling to people who don't understand what 
be a, what these words are and, and why should they most people just want to have food and eat it and, and trust it but what I, I would I would if somebody was to challenge a product and say you know have no more than, than 20 ingredients or whatever the figures mm. you've said then I would say why what, what's wrong with them you'd have to go through the ingredients sure um, and maybe there are some untoward ingredients on a product but it doesn't mean it's bad and this is the thing with with processed food people say well you might be having something and a friend will, will say well well that that's that's bad for you you say why it's processed and they they think that's the end of the conversation okay it's processed like you're supposed to know because it's processed that's bad well no i, I don't agree with that a lot of processed foods are bad probably more processed foods are bad than are good um but you know, we're trying to get people onto more plant-based diets and a lot of plant-based diets do include some sort of processed foods and, and what yeah, but nutritious processed foods sustainable processed foods what is a processed food anyway there's been attempt to define this and if you think about it we've been processing food for probably about 30,000 years looking at the evidence when people used to rub two stones together and make flour mm. And more recently, since we've had agriculture, there's been a lot of other processes. And you know, we've got to, you rewind 100 years, and people were doing a lot more home baking. It's still processes now. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to be awkward here and say that's not what. Because when people say processed food, they don't mean that. They just mean the more heavily processed foods, or to use a more modern term, ultra processed foods. Mm -hmm. So they have come up. There's several different definitions of this. Now, Nova is probably the most internationally recognised one. Well, they've got four levels of processed food. Now, I've, I've written an article about this and, and challenged it quite some time ago, but more recently, I think it was June, July this year, the Nutrition Society in one of their journals, can't remember which one, they did a really good report and I thought it was, it was spot on where they criticised NOVA and they actually accused it of being ideological mm -hmm. because it's not bounded with good science. So there are absolutely bad processed foods that we should be avoiding and there are some good ones, many, many good ones that provide a lot of nutritional benefits mm. and I think most people know that most of which which of the processed foods are not good for them they, we know it yeah. one of the phrases I like to use is nutrition science is not rocket science right yeah you don't have to know it to the level that maybe you and I know it you just mm. have to know what good bad foods is and it's we know that definitely definitely and I think with the ingredients and the process so with the ingredients thing I think if you're buying a simple product let's say milk and you're looking at the back you would hope to just see a couple of ingredients mm -hmm. because it's milk, it's a simple product, you're mm -hmm. going to combine it with something else. Whereas when you're looking at Huel, it's a complete meal. Yeah. So, And we mentioned and touched on earlier all the different types of things that go into Huel. Like mm -hmm. It's incredible, mm -hmm. all the different vitamins, minerals, carbs, fibre, you know. So you're going to have a few more ingredients than, yeah. than 20, let's say. And also what I find interesting about process is food is kind of science because you're you're creating something you're combining things and i guess with science kind of comes processes and comes words that you might not necessarily understand like i know when i was studying science at school i was like what's this what's that when you actually ask a teacher mm -hmm. they explain it into mm -hmm. english and so i guess there's a bit of science in mm -hmm. formulating different products would you kind of agree with that yeah that there is and that's not not taken away from having regular food and regular home cooked meals absolutely i encourage everyone to do that buy good quality ingredients, learn to cook. Everyone can do it, even I can do it, right? It can't mm. be that hard. Yeah. Um, and we can all make good meals. And you don't have to follow recipes. You know what? You stick a load of stuff in the pot. And I mean, food waste is a massive issue these mm. days. And 
food processing helps combat that. Mm. A lot of people who have got an issue with the ter- you know, and use the term processed foods, they're in a very advanced, you know, the very fact they can criticise processed foods may b- means they're really quite privileged because there mm. are some people in the world that, that can't, not even in the world, in this country, especially at the moment with the supply chain issues mm. and the rising cost of prices. You know, what, what have Tesco said that the, the cost of people's baskets is going up? Um, and we've got the, the fuel prices. There's a lot of strains at the moment, so we're going to have to look at more economical ways of getting good nutrition. That doesn't mean nipping down McDonald's no. and getting a burger at all. Um, it means buying good nutritious foods. And, and here was an example of that. There are other good nutritious foods to have as well. Mm. So would you say the term process is kind of being misdefined? I don't think it's ever been defined. I don't think misdefined is... I think it's a poor attempt. It's, a, it's more of a... It's more of a slang term, I'd say, which yeah. I've not thought of it before, but it's probably closer to that. And, and I get why people use it casually. That's what we do. Mm. Um, but it's not impli- bad is not implicit in the term processed. Yeah. Quite often it is bad. Foods are bad. And one thing, just, just to sidetrack from that, I mean, I, I'd like to think people think I've got some credibility mm-hmm. as a nutritionist, and I certainly value my reputation. Sure, I want people to go and buy your products, but that's because I know that they're going to be beneficial to their health. Now, 99% of our consumers just want to have fuel. 1%, and I love this 1%, they dig deep and they want to want to look at things a bit more, look at the food label, and some of those, that 1% will even challenge us on things. And I love, I love that because it makes it holds us to account mm. and makes sure we're, we're doing the right thing. But for the 99% of people, I take that very seriously. And I've used this quote before, so anyone from work will probably laugh now, but I like quoting Spider-Man here. With great power comes great responsibility. People value fuel. They know that we talk a lot of, we, we give a lot of good information for nutrition. They know that we make good products. So it's very important to me personally that when people are having your products, they know that they're getting something that is objectively good for their body. Yeah, definitely. Because actually that kind of answered one of my questions, which was, Huel does sometimes get the word criticised is wrong but challenged mm. about process but you just answered that it's because Huel has this power and you've got your hooligans which I love yeah. that phrase but yeah. who they are ambassadors of the brand they yeah. love it yeah. so I guess anything that you love you challenge and you, you want to build that relationship more and dig deeper and have a better connection so I guess that answers the question because I sometimes thought well, why does it get challenged? Because it's such a great product and people love it. So where is the link? But actually that is the link because they love it. They want yeah. to know more and, and dig deeper. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, and, and some people some people love it and want to dig deeper and they're the ones that challenge. Some I think your word criticise is right. Some people criticise, but I would like to think any criticism of you all I've got a, a valid answer to. And if, if there is something I haven't, well then that's, that's on me. I need to make that right. Yeah, no, for sure. And I want to touch on sustainability because... Right. That's quite interesting with Huel because I feel like you guys tackle the waste issue a lot because mm. there's no waste with Huel. Yeah. So yeah, do you mind touching a bit on like sustainability and how that kind of came into like the product development and how you guys kind of yeah focus on that? Great question. Um, my background is nutrition. Up until uh, seven years ago, I had a sort of benign knowledge of what carbon did and what the greenhouse effect was. Having Huel, we made it plant-based from um, the outset, which I, I said earlier, uh, and we kind of knew that was better, but we didn't quantify that. 
and so I was forced in my job and, and it was great to learn a lot more about climate change, carbon, food waste and other environmental pressures. Uh, and it's been very useful now. We've got um, some, a lot of people in the business that are very passionate about sustainability and we've got one individual who's very experienced, she's our sustainability director and so she looks after all, all that side of things and we try, we try and put data behind things. Mm-hmm. So food waste, you know, we've got minimal waste. People have, have a pouch of fuel, they, they use it all up, they don't throw it away. The RTD, you drink it all. Mm. Um, and the same, all our products, so there's very minimal waste, which, you know, you, you go and buy some, some fruit and veg, often you don't all use it all up it goes bad you don't eat it enough same with meat you, you know the meat you don't want to eat when it's past its date right no. so it's a problem and so unless people shop more frequently which they don't have time to then you um, can help tackle that that problem Definitely. And, and also you know climate change is, is a problem um, and we know we've got to all do our bit and part of what people can do is to eat better we know that having more plant foods will help um, reduce the, an individual's carbon footprint. Um, not talking about going completely, you know, plant-based or vegan, but certainly having some days where you just eat plant-based foods, and and Huel can can help that. Mm, definitely, and I think that's kind of where the process comes in a bit because although some people might, as we mentioned earlier, slate the word process and overuse it, but actually these processes help combat food waste because Correct. things that are fresh, as we as we just mentioned go out of date you've got to bin them mm. things that have been maybe preserved or processed or mm. gone through some sort of cycle they then don't go out of date so then you're prolonging the life of it and it won't go to waste correct so i yeah. guess you know it's a it's a catch-22 isn't it you've got the processes you've got the, the food waste but actually it's all yeah the processes help combat that yeah, absolutely yeah so i want to touch on the power of nutrition on like body functionality so sometimes people just eat to satisfy a need, they're hungry, they want to fill that hole, yeah. or they want something sweet, they get it. But actually, nutrition does a lot more than just, or food does a lot more than just satisfy and fuel you. It probably helps your like concentration, your motivation, your brain. Could you touch on a bit about that and how powerful good nutrition actually is for our bodies? It's incredibly powerful, and it should be a non-issue, right? We mm. should all be eating good food. We shouldn't have to think about eating good food for our mental state. But we do, because a lot of people have crap diets. Mm. So the effect of, um, on our physical performance is, is well known, and everyone knows that they can perform better, especially if they uh, go to the gym or do some form of exercise. We know they should be eating better and we're going to get better performance. People have known that for decades and decades, right? Um, and it absolutely does, you know was a bodybuilder and still a regular gym girl myself and I know the importance of good quality carbs, high protein, essential fats and you, you don't progress if you don't eat well, simple. But what I think is more interesting, like you just alluded to, is the effect of food on our mental state. If, you know, this, this word hangry, it's, this, mm. it's an interesting word, right? I quite yeah. like it, it sounds a bit jargony but you know, you're hungry and angry, that's mm. a portmanteau. And um, it kind of says it all, really. Okay, I would challenge it that people are genuinely angry if they haven't eaten for three hours. Probably going a bit too far, because I know our ancestors probably went a lot longer than that. But it's because they've perhaps not eaten so well, uh, you know, that maybe their 
blood sugar has dropped because their previous meal wasn't so good so they've mm-hmm. not sustained their the hunger for, for so long mm-hmm. and, and you think about it really it's, it's so obvious that foods affects, food affects our mental state you're hungry you've got a food craving what was the craving well craving is mental state right mm-hmm. so dopamine which is the neurotransmitter that helps us go seek out do certain behaviours for instance eating Dopamine, although it's a, a positive feeling, can be a bit um, disingenuous as a feeling. It's telling you you need to have something where perhaps you don't. What I mentioned uh, 10 minutes ago about having, when you're eating out and you can always find room for your sweet dessert, well, that's just habit, habitual behaviour. So I think paying attention to these food cues can help people control how hungry they, they are, genuinely. And also, you know, having a stable blood sugar level helps keep, you know, keep you feeling um, more energised for longer. So, you know, the uh, mid-afternoon slump that's so often when people have a reasonably big lunch and then about two or three, they've been working all day, they've had their lunch and now they've got the slump. They've probably been better off if they hadn't have had their lunch mm. in some ways or certainly not, not had so much. Yeah, no, definitely. Plus the morning coffee is probably worn off as well. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think I actually did an article on the Greedy Vegan website about cravings because different cravings actually mean different things. So, like, I can't remember all the facts now, so don't fact check me on this, but I think if you're craving chocolate, it actually means something else. And another craving actually means you're tired and another craving actually means you're dehydrated. So, although you might crave certain things actually it's got a deeper meaning which I think is quite interesting it could be and you've got to pay attention to your cravings this is I mentioned mindfulness earlier but mindfulness is pertinent to a lot of things but if you can learn to recognise your food cues so some advice here if somebody is got a tendency to eat too much maybe putting on a bit of weight and they want to control what, what, what they're having or they choose the wrong foods and they want to try and cut back rather than just be you know Badass and say, I'm not going to have that because that, that's going to last a few days, and you mm. probably get there. And you know, typically in January, when you're trying to be good, but really, I would say it's better to move into the feeling, recognize the emotion, identify it. Well, how does it make you feel? What you know, look at this impulse, and you and then you'll probably after just a few days or a few weeks, you'll probably start to challenge yourself. Do I really need that extra bowl of ice cream? Afterwards? Yeah. Do I really? I'm hungry. I've had enough. So it's all about recognising your mental state mm. in relation to what your body's telling you it thinks it needs when it doesn't. Yeah, so true. And I think, obviously we all know how good nutrition is for us, but I think when it comes to working in the working week, sometimes like the lunch, quick fix lunch, run out and grab something, has not much thought behind it. Mm. And then you might recognise that you're feeling demotivated you're not that productive mm. and actually you might think oh it's because of the time of day when I mean, actually it could have a lot to do with what you've eaten for lunch absolutely and different foods have different reactions with you I think I read someone said that they could not have onions in their lunch mm-hmm. because it reacted how they performed in the mm. afternoon so something as simple as that and I think obviously you can have other other options to satisfy lunch but that's why fuel could be a good option because you know you've got everything in there so you might be able to perform yep. better in the afternoon but yeah, is there is there kind of a scientific? Has it been proven that like different foods react to your like motivation, productivity? I mean, I think it's. I'm sure there are studies out there. I can't say I've read them, but it's it's quite obvious, really. You, I controlled your blood sugar levels, so the glycemic index of different foods. Mm-hmm. Now, for people who don't know what that is, 
every carbohydrate-containing food will have, will have a blood sugar response. And so some high GI, high glycemic foods, will have a surge of energy and then a slump. And then the low GI foods will have a more sustained uh, energy level. So the blood sugar level will raise slowly and come back down slowly. Mm. So the low GI foods are things like oats, granary bread, certain types of pasta, basmati rice, sweet potatoes, um, boiled new potatoes, uh, quinoa, huel. Yeah, <laughs> there are examples of low GI, and we've had the GI of your products tested, so they will keep you more sustained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not just about satiety, which we're talking about. This is energy levels we're talking mm. about here. So both, yeah. And do you think social media has had an interesting effect on people's perception of nutrition? Because obviously, social media has got amazing perks. We can find out information really quickly. We can follow different people. But do you think it's got a slight negative... Do you think things have been slightly skewed because of what people see on social media in terms of nutrition? So this is, I love this question. Social media is, is an addiction itself for many people. We just yeah. talk about food addiction. absolutely related to the same pathways in the brain. So it's always been an issue, right? But people didn't have readily access to this information until they had social media on their phones since 2007 when Apple... You know, brought out the iPhone, etc. So yeah, it's become a bigger issue. So it's always been there, but it's become a bigger issue. And I was talking to one of my respected nutrition colleague, colleagues in, in the UK um, recently, and um, they gave a really good point. And that it was like, as nutrition professionals, we should be doing more, right? Of course, people are going to want to follow influencers, and because they're people they can relate to. So if they're giving bad information, these people don't know, but people are going to relate to it. But we, as good nutrition professionals should be on social media more putting out good information and then people might follow us mm. I'm really really bad if, there's, if you can be good or bad at doing social media whatever that means yeah. but because I just find it something else to you know, think about yeah. so occasionally I'll do something for new your product or I'll come up with a, an idea or whatever but I think I really I feel I've got a responsibility to try and do more but it's very unnatural for me it's a hard one, isn't it? Because yeah. it is this whole new world, really. Yeah. And I can imagine that it can be, must be quite irritating if you do see someone preaching about a certain thing and you're there like, actually, you're wrong. And you can see how much following they've got and how people are just yeah. absorbing all this information. Because mm. people just throw claims around. Quite. And there's new trends and new this and new that. And actually, yeah, some of it isn't correct. But that is, yeah, it's a good point, I guess, so it's it's yeah it's it does it really gets under my skin. Always has done before social media or internet was a thing. When I read it in books, when I've, I've been going to gyms for thirty five years, right? You'd always hear some crap. Down, mm. um, you know, when I was probably younger and less confident, I used to get into some debates with people down the gym, and you know, it's I'd probably lose the debate yeah. because I was I was young um, and maybe they had a better physique than me, so people were listen to them more. Now you're just seeing it on your phone all day. So it is frustrating. And I'm sure I could argue with them. People say, well, you should tell them they're wrong. Well, I can't do that in two or three lines, right? I need to back myself up with evidence. So yeah. to tell people that they're incorrect, I need to write an essay. And I'm, you know, as much as I'd love to, I can't spend four hours writing a response because that's mm-hmm. what it would take to evidence-base my stuff and yeah. to explain things fully. And, and who's going to read that? Three people? Yeah, you know, yeah. so what's the point? So is it not better to perhaps do our own social media, which really doesn't motivate me but I think I probably will have to 
or to write longer form stuff that's relatable, maybe like essays or books. And sure, not everyone will read them, but maybe some of those influencers that have maybe not given good advice, they don't want to give bad advice, right? These yeah. influencers, they want to give good advice, they just misinform themselves. Mm. So it's not coming from a bad place. But maybe they might read one of these articles and they might put some better information out. So it's yeah. more like educating these type of people, that's where it is. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think food is really interesting because everyone eats. So everyone's got an opinion and everyone has different feelings in their body. So I think this is kind of why I like this podcast because it is about all things food because everyone has a different story to tell when it comes to food. Yeah. And people, yeah, education is a massive part of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're taught enough at school really about food. Like I don't ever remember, I did science, all the basics and English and maths and learned about pie charts, which I don't really use now. But like food, we all eat is super important, but yet we don't really have the education piece there from the beginning. We don't, absolutely, we don't. And I don't know what it's called these days, but when I was at school, it was called home economics, which was the cook, cooking skills. And it was mo- you know, in, not in my era so much, but then in my parents' era, so the, the baby boomer generation, it was a w- women only, girls only do home economics. In my era, it was mostly girls, but boys were allowed. I wasn't one of them. And, um, but that was, you know, and that's as important as learning about the actual nutrition. Mm. But I'm going to say something now uh, that even other nutritionists might uh, disagree with. So I've, I've been studying and working in nutrition for about 30 years now, and I think for 25 of those, I was probably doing a reasonable job, but I don't think it was good enough. Now, on my degree, many, many eons ago in the, in the 90s, I was learned about what proteins do, fats do, carbs do, etc. I was learned how to to counsel people with things like food cravings or very practical advice, and that was really good. A multitude of other things. What I didn't do was get into the nitty gritty of why humans eat. Why do we eat? Mm. So there's so much more to this. So the last few years, I've been looking at this. We mentioned sustainability; that's important, and I think the term nutrition shouldn't be used as a discipline on its own anymore. It should be sustainable nutrition. We are social creatures, we eat together, okay? So you eat for yourself and you eat for other people. I don't think anybody can you know, argue that. People might wanna question me more, but it's something I'd, I'd love to debate more at the right time. But also, our impulses to eat. I spoke about the impulses of cravings and dopamine, understanding that a lot more. Sure, when I was at uni 20 odd years ago, we didn't know so much. Mm. We don't know, didn't know the effect of the microbiome as much. Sure, we knew it had something to do with the immune system and it probably helped digestion about them, but we didn't know how it affects the brains and serotonin. Mm. Serotonin is one of the happy neurotransmitters. And more recently, it's been found out that about 90% of it is not released from the central nervous system, it's released from the enteric nervous system, which is the nervous system of the gut. Interesting, okay? So what we eat is, is probably gonna be a lot more linked there but there's one other thing culture is really important as to why we eat what we eat so you'll notice there's different cultures around the world and people are uh, we have different cuisines you asked me what my favourite takeaway was I said Indian well that's that's a British version of an Indian I'm sure it's quite different Um, but culture has evolved with our physical evolution and if you look at what our ancestors ate, Homo sapiens and the other earlier humans, um, you'll see the culture is embedded in how food was prepared. And that has evolved over the millennia to, to where we are now. 
uh, and it's really really important and food is as much about what we're actually eating as to why we eat what are the impulses so it's all, all very well saying that we've got this craving but there's the impulse to choose certain foods comes from the culture that's embedded in us as well definitely and I think that kind of really links again a bit back to Huel because you guys are a new generation product like it does change the what we know as eating a meal mm-hmm. it kind of contradicts that and changes that and I guess it kind of links back to like why we eat and everyone's like well what, how can I drink a whole meal how can I drink a whole meal but then why, why can't you so I guess it kind of challenges mm. the norm like you, it is like a new generational product do you see Huel as a bit like a bit like that I mean, the food's ever-evolving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this is part of the, the evolution of food, if you like, but it's, you know, it doesn't mean we have to do away with other traditional meals. In mm. fact, we absolutely we shouldn't be, because people like that, right? Yeah. People who have grown up on a certain, you know, a certain meal want to keep having that. Just that your is convenient, affordable food, especially at the moment with, with all the uh, cost pressures, mm. um, that people can have for certain meals of the day whatever suits them you, you know, people say to me how much yours should I have well you have as much or as little as you want and I came across a rep once who had your twice a week when he was, when he was on the road Yeah. Uh, and that was it, brilliant uh, and I've other people that have it every day other people that have it weekdays and not at, not, not at weekends yeah, no definitely and I want to touch on your personal diet now Okay. so obviously being a nutritionist you've got all the the knowledge and all that you learn so much and you see different diets from different people and I'd love to hear more about how your diet has maybe evolved over time we touched on plant-based maybe how you've learned more about the plant-based and how maybe you've incorporated a bit of that yeah I'd love to hear more about your diet so when I first went to a gym at 16 years old as a typical skinny um, teenager and I just wanted to get bigger right so my diet back then was eat big if you want to get big and to some degree it worked so I was very much focused on eating to improve my performance, improve my physique when I was younger and as I've got older I now recognise that there's different pressures, like I want to be old right I want to live to a long age but I don't want to be old and decrepit, I want to be as active as I can as old as I can, so you've got to look at good nutrition, but we've got the other pressures as well so in 2019 I changed my dietary outlook and, and what I ate so yeah, I still eat for my own physical health. First and foremost, one has to eat for one's own physical health and then their mental health as well. Because if you're not looking after yourself, you're not going to be able to look after other people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to eat more sustainably. And so we know that meat has a higher um, carbon footprint than a plant-based diet. We don't have to cut meat out altogether. I haven't. But I limit my animal-derived calories to about 10% over the course of a week or so. If you are like James and you are lowering your intake of meat, you may be wondering what else you could have instead. This is where Greedy Vegan comes in. We are here to inspire you and introduce you to new brands and products that you may have never heard of before. If you fancy trying something new, please check us out. Now, the Western average, for, for reference, is about 28-30%. So it's by about a third. Now, I don't walk around with a calculator and a, and a food app. I know what mm-hmm. the values of things are. And, but to do that, I might have less meat on my plate, more, more pulses or beans or something like that. I might uh, avoid um, meat for the other meals of the day, have fuel. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and I go might go days, you know, a couple of days where I just have completely plant based. They're not necessarily. I don't follow a rigid meal plan by any stretch of the imagination. I eat what my wife kindly cooks for me, or, or what I prepare for myself, or if mm-hmm. we eat out. No, definitely. And if I do have a bit more animal products, I might be cut cut down a bit um, the next couple of days. Not mm. that I'm calculating to any strict ten percent. No. But more than this. I also personally have a real problem with factory farming. I think it's a very unethical practice. I wish we could do away with it altogether. Now, I'm not a vegan. I probably never will be. Um, and you know, yes, there's a good argument why we shouldn't be vegans, because we we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation today if our ancestors hadn't have eaten meat, right? Mm, yes. But factory farming, sure, it makes meat cheap and makes the profits for those certain companies a lot bigger. But we need to do what we can to you know do away with them so all the meat I do buy I buy from ethically sourced farms uh, if it's red meat and poultry I'm a bit more liberal with fish mm-hmm. and eggs of course only have proper free range not where they're crammed to the bottom free range but proper free roaming local eggs mm. um, and when I eat out I eat more carefully and people say well aren't you missing out no not really if I'm eating out then I'm having a great experience anyway I'm eating out right so mm. why is my pleasure of eating out going to be enhanced by having a slightly suboptimal food choice? I'm never going to know that because I've enjoyed myself. Yeah. So people, um, yeah, people can eat better. So it's, what, what I've put together and what, what I eat is something that's very doable um, and fits in with, with sustainable nutrition as well. No, definitely. And I think someone once said to me that you should look at meat, like you look at alcohol. So you're not going to drink every day when you do have a drink I mean some people might but generally speaking you shouldn't and don't drink every day when you do it's going to be a special occasion you might go and spend a bit more on the bottle of wine or you might have your favourite cocktail whatever it is but that should be how you treat meat so you kind of go to the butcher you really look where it's from the origin and I think that's quite a nice way of looking at it um, because it should be like that and Yes, it's changed over time. That's probably mm. because the world's got bigger. There's more people on the planet. Mm. So the pressures on factory farming and all that kind of stuff has got greater. Mm. So that's why we have to be more careful. Mm. So I think it is really interesting. Going back to the restaurant thing, I think that's their responsibility to make sure every option on their menu is amazing. And everyone always says, oh, like, where do you go to eat plant-based? What, what restaurants mm. do you go to? I go, eat in any restaurant because there are now lots of options yeah. for us. And it is really nice and then what you can do with vegetables is incredible um, but yeah I think it's it's not a one size fits all model everyone's different I mean everyone's got different needs and different wants mm-hmm. so but I think yeah the everyone should have that responsibility to try and do their bit I guess like I said earlier we are you know we're social creatures and we should be yes you've got to look after yourself first and foremost because a phrase I've used before is um a sustainable diet is not sustainable if it can't sustain an individual. Mm. Yeah. But we can think broader than that. If we pay attention to what we eat and why we eat it, we can eat better. And it's going to be better for our nutrition as well. Mm. No, for sure. And where does fuel play a part in your diet? Well, I get it for free. <laughs> Bonus. So I like, we all like free. It plays, I don't have, I have fuel as much and as little as, as, I, as I want. And I pretty much have fuel every day a product sometimes you know two or three times mm. Look, I mean <clears throat> I've got the advantage of you know I said about restricting my animal derived calories well I eat quite a lot 
So that, that means that there's quite a lot I can still have as a percentage of, yeah. of my energy. So, But I do have plant-based some days and he'll make that a lot easier. I have the products I like, so I have both types of our powder. I have the complete protein as well before bed because a bit extra protein from training. The RTD is, is very, very convenient. I mean, Huel is convenient, the RTD is another level of convenience, right? Yeah. And I like the Huel bars. Um, I prefer the ones in the white wrapper, the conversion 3.1 bars. Not The new ones are great as well, but I prefer, prefer those. Mm. See, I have all our products. I go through phases of the hot and the savory. The chicken and mushroom pasta is my um, my favourite. That's, that's chicken without one of the vowels, because it's... Uh, I was going to say, is that yeah, okay, amazing? All Huel products are suitable for vegans. We yeah. don't make any more, don't use any animal derived ingredients. Yeah, no, really interesting. And what is your thoughts on the, the old chicken alternatives or the alternative market in general? Do you have any Okay, it's a great question. It follows on really from what we were just yeah. talking about. We've got to address these problems with people having too much meat. There's lots of options for this. There's GMOs, some people are against them. Yeah, I've got no issue with them personally, as long as they're based on good science. Um, there's Huel, I think it's going to play a part in, in, the, in the future and other complete foods. Um, we've got the plant-based alternatives for meat, which are now tackling the, the culinary and the, the flavours of meat. I think that's great. There's some that aren't so nice. There's some that are really nice. Um, I think they're important. But what is really interesting is some of the Celerag um, innovations, so Celerag, Celerag agriculture. So, for example, uh, you might have heard of the um, meat grown in a lab. Yeah. Yeah, the clean meats, some mm. people call them, um, or the uh, dairy, uh, dairy proteins that are made in a lab. So there's no animal harm. So they've scientists have modified uh, microbes uh, and feeding them with, with certain cultures, which might include carbon from the from the air, mm. to make proteins. And some of them will be the same proteins as dairy or egg white. Or meat proteins. Then, with the meat proteins, of course, they've got to make them into something that resembles meat. Mm -hmm. And this is really interesting because this will, well, it will certainly get rid of factory farming because it's, one is it's going to be cheaper when it's scaled up. We're quite away from from that yet, but there are some companies doing it. One in Israel, I believe. But it will be a lot cheaper. There'll only be the good bits. There won't be any of the bad stuff in meat. It'll just be the good proteins and the good good vitamins and minerals and, and, and the good fats. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of select good stuff uh, the antibiotic resistance in factory farmings is a real problem right that's mm. where the, I can't remember the figure I think like 90% of, of antibiotics are used in, in um, livestock not in humans so it will combat that and of course the food's going to be less you know it's going to have a longer shelf life yeah. which is a good it helps feed people in uh, areas that don't have some, such good access to food and less risk of spoilage and food poisoning so it's mm. going to address everything so I think a combination of the innovations I've mentioned there, I think the plant-based meats are great and useful. Will they be around long-term? Maybe, maybe, yeah. who, who knows? But I think, um, but what, what we do have at Huel is we have complete food products. We don't, Huel doesn't try to be anything else, right? Mm. We don't try to be meat, we don't try to be, we're, we're Huel, our, our products are there to be enjoyed in their own right. And I think most people do enjoy them. And if you've tried a flavour and it's not for you, well, there are other flavours. Definitely. Uh, kind of the, this episode's done like a nice full circle because those alternatives kind of touch on what we mentioned about processed earlier. Yeah. Because, again, they get slated a bit for being processed, but it is processed because it is science and they are creating something new. 
And like you mentioned, whether they're going to be around for ages, I'm not sure. Because I think at the moment it's doing a transition where we're creating a meet mock because it's kind of like part of the education piece for consumers. It's like, okay, this is a new substance, but it's a chicken. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, I know what to expect. Yeah. Whereas I think in the future we'll have a new substance potentially, which isn't chicken or isn't beef, but it's something completely new. Maybe that's where Huel comes in, but it's it's something yeah. unique. And yeah. so maybe we'll have that in the future. But no, I think it's interesting to hear from a credible nutritionist like yourself that you do believe that it's a good product because sometimes people are like, I'm not going to have the alternatives because I don't believe they're mm. healthy. So I think it's really good to hear that actually what's going into them again this is generally we're not nitpicking on that particular brands but generally what they're doing is good and healthy and yeah and now that those products are more affordable probably still a little bit more expensive than perhaps people could afford um you know people are happy to watch what they they spend on food at the moment Mm, no definitely and what is your what's next for Huel? Like, if you can share anything, like where is Huel going in terms of the nutrition side? And so we we continue to expand into other other countries. We'll be looking at some other areas, other regions of the world. Um, we've got some new products coming out. I can't really share them at the moment as That's much as I, fine. I'd love to, but some really interesting stuff coming next year. We've got another product coming out before Christmas, I believe. All being well. Again, I'd love to say more. That's what that fine. Is. These little but, teasers um, are good enough. But there is more coming. Um, yeah, a lot of people are, are really finding you beneficial at the moment with the cost of living increases. Mm, no, definitely. I can completely see that. Yeah. And we always end this podcast with a final question, which okay. is what would your last meal be? I know we've touched on eating out and all these different types of food, but mm. I know it's a bit of a morbid question, but in the most positive way, what is your what would be your last meal? I've never thought of this. It's a, it is a very hard question. I enjoy so much food that I don't know if I would want to nail it down to, you know, if I was on death row, so to speak, yeah. and I was, I was asked. I mean, we have, you know, I've got my foods that I've enjoyed growing up, traditional roast beef Yorkshire pudding, maybe that, but they, they, yeah. the, the cow would have to have been ethically farmed now. Yeah. Maybe that. I like, I like good old fish and chips because I'm really coming across like a no it's good it's like a Brit here no it's good it's a good yeah that's tradition right I was saying about being brought up with culture that's that's English culture yeah so maybe that's influencing me to think that yeah if if I was given a chicken and mushroom you'll have to say where's my last meal I'd be really happy with that as well (laughs) I love it James thank you so much for coming on honestly I really have loved everything about this episode it's so interesting to kind of dive deeper into nutrition and health and also Huel as well it's an incredible product and I'm very excited about where it's going but thank you so much for coming on thanks enjoyed our chat